Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. Thank you for joining us. There are a lot of podcasts in the world, a lot of ways you can spend your time, and I appreciate you being here with us. Uh, Great episode today. We have John Bond of Dutchie. Dutchie, probably the most well-known software company in the industry. They raised a ridiculous amount of money, have grown tremendously, uh, and John's a big part of that. He's head of partnerships over there, been there since the very, very beginning, and we talk about how to grow good partnerships, bad partnerships, their longstanding partnership with OnFleet, the delivery software, you know, is near and dear to my heart. Uh, And we also talk about some other big players coming up, Uber and Microsoft and Shopify and what the future looks like, how to counteract the black market and, and all the other big questions of today. John is really, really knowledgeable, one of the most connected folks in the industry. Uh, It's a great episode. I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. I want to take a second to tell you about LeafWire, which is currently the LinkedIn of cannabis. And you can find events and jobs and training and a whole bunch of great resources on that website. But even more exciting is the new Uh, LeafWire 2.0, which is tackling conferences. And Peter is currently raising money to develop that app and build the future uh, of B2B networking in the cannabis industry. So it's really exciting stuff. Reach out to Peter if you want to talk about it more. Um, All right, guys, let's get back into the episode with John Bond of Dutchie. John Bond, the man, the myth, the legend. How are you, man? Welcome to the show. (laughs) I'm doing great, man. Um, doing very well. Just uh, enjoying some family time back with the uh, with the parents in Kansas City, uh, right close to Christmas, man. So living the dream. How you doing, bud? I'm doing really well. Getting ready for Christmas as well. Uh, a little cold in LA. How's the barbecue over there? Is the barbecue as good in Kansas City as they say? Or? It absolutely is. I've eaten probably no less than 15 pounds of barbecue since I got here on Friday. So, you know, uh, might need to buy an extra seat for myself on the flight home on the overflow, but we'll be okay, man. There's just so many great spots out here. Have you had it before or no? I uh, know. I've never been. I've never been. All right. Well then good thing. There's this thing called good belly. You might have a late Christmas present coming your way, man. Send it over. Barbecue and dry ice. All right. Make Send it a note. It totally um, good. So Ross, uh, was on the show back in 2018. I just looked. So some time ago, and much has changed since then. Um, But let's start with an easy one anyway. Tell us what Dutchie is. Absolutely. So um, a lot's changed in 2018, but uh, currently Dutchie is a cannabis technology platform. We offer uh, e-commerce, POS, and uh, soon-to-be payments on the ACH side. Um, We've got Cashless ATM as well, too, but really an all inclusive cannabis technology platform individualized between those products, but we started as an e-commerce company. So strictly e-commerce back when uh, 2017 actually met Ross in 2018, when I started, we were e-commerce exclusively up until uh, March of uh, 2021, when we announced we were acquiring uh, Leap Logics and GreenBits and became a full stack provider. And take me through that analysis. Why GreenBits and why grow into sort of that segment? You know, I mean, Leaf Lodges and GreenBits were outstanding companies, and we work with also a bunch of great uh, point-of-sale technology providers outside of that, too. So, like, we still maintain a ton of relationships, and we work with our other point-of-sale partners with our dispensary partners in that lens. But when we were looking at the uh, 
the market and we were talking to our customers and, and so many decisions we make are driven by, uh, you know, the data that we can gather and insights from our customers. Um, logically, you know, if, if you're thinking about like traditional e-commerce, the next step would be like ad tech, martech, right? And in talking to our customers, so many of their problems were downstream. And so um, with integrations, right? Not even necessarily the technology piece of it, but like the integrations between the amount of technology platforms that are available in the cannabis space and the autonomy of that landscape within retailers, um, point of sale made the most sense. And so um, in looking at that, you know, LeapLogics and GreenBits both fit into what we were looking for um, from that side of it. And it's just been outstanding ever since. Um, you know, we brought them into the fold uh, and the Dutchie family in uh, March of 2021. And we're, you know, moving and shaking together as one organization as it stands today here in December. So um, a really quick turnaround. That's a huge testament to, you know, everybody on every team that's been a part of that. And it's been a lot of long days getting, you know, the simple things, right? Like getting onto one CRM and all the things like that, like getting everybody same email domain, swag, getting a rebrand out the door um, because we're now a different company than we were. And so it's all been really exciting, man. And it's kind of one of those things where it's like, we see it as our responsibility to support the cannabis industry in the most universal and best way possible. And so, you know, the rising tides kind of rises all ships and we consider ourselves to try and be the, the ocean in that example um, from that side of it. How does that change your day to day? The new company, the new money, what did you guys raise? $600 billion or something like that? I don't know. Three, I think it's 350 million, but yeah. How has it yeah. changed for you? Um, you know, honestly, it's still business as usual. We're making all the same decisions the way that we were, but we make them with more confidence and knowing that like we have the capital to make the right decisions for the business, right? So often, um, I think people are really short-sighted in, in the idea that, uh, you know, the quick decision and the quick win is, is worth it. Whereas like, I think that, you know, us taking our time on certain things and making sure that we truly understood the nature of a problem and how we would solve it has been a huge indicator to our success. And so that capital allows us to put the right team in place to segment specialization within our company to have those silos within product and eng. And uh, on the CS team between implementation and client success down the road. And so all of it really is just building infrastructure and continuing to innovate, right? So up to this point, um, infrastructure, stability, and, and support has been a, a huge piece of our business, right? That will always continue to be a huge piece of our business. But now that we've raised the capital, you know, dumping $100 million into R&D over the next year is going to be a really exciting thing for us and the customers that we work with, because ultimately you know, that's going to be where we can really move the needle on some innovative things that can help simplify the way that retailers do business. So hundred million in R&D is a big number. I, I read that somewhere else. What are you going to discover? What are you going to research? All the things, man. Now it's like, we've got some pretty particular problems that we're trying to solve. Right. And like so many of them, I say this all the time, but like, you know, the, the time in which you try and solve that particular problem makes an impact just as much as, you know, the actual problem you're trying to solve. For example, um, you know, today with like mobile apps being allowed in uh, the app store for, uh, for cannabis companies, right? That didn't exist a year ago, right? And so like now we can solve a problem there around customer loyalty and brand identity with retailers they were never able to solve before. And we've got great partners that build mobile apps for, um, you know, the dispensaries that we work with. But ultimately it's like, how do we solve these big issues, right? Payments, huge issues, safe banking, obviously not passed yet, but it will hopefully eventually. Um, tying together like the uh, breadth of landscape within the cannabis space from a technology lens is also a huge one, right? And like the, 
when we talk about like innovating, it's like, how can we provide more granular insights into like efficiency, efficiencies in retail operations, right? Like how can you see from the time that that order is placed, the time it's out the door, and then being able to improve upon that leading to more transactions throughout the day. And it gives us a greater data set and like being able to like find companies that are doing these types of things and focused on these very micro pieces of the business to partner with um, or potentially invest in acquire, you know, right. I mean, obviously that's a huge piece of it too. I think like a huge part of our success has been like focusing on the things that we need to focus on and knowing that like, you know, partnerships and uh, strategic partnerships in that way are like the biggest piece of that. And like, you know, that capitalizes to go up there and, and get that and get those insights and find the things that um, are really happening that are moving the needle for retailers solving these problems. And then how do you scale it, right? Scale is everything. Um, you know, there's not, every company is great until they have to scale, right? And so when you think about like the, the macro of all of that, um, you know, that capital allows you to put in the pieces in place that may not makes sense, you know, financially today to have a, a support staff of, you know, 250 people and an eng team of 150 and, you know, the resources that we do. But if there's like three guarantees in life, you know, death taxes and people are always buying more legal cannabis tomorrow than they bought today. And so like, are you throwing the football where somebody's standing on the field or where it's 20 yards downfield where they're going to get underneath it and catch it? And so that's a huge piece of it too. Um, so being the director of partnerships in, in software companies, that often means integrations, right? And you guys have a ton of integrations. Um, how do you think about the future sort of as like a open or closed ecosystem, right? I mean, like if we want to use an example like Android or Apple, right? Where it's like, do you have to use all Apple products or are you guys going to be the Android of the cannabis industry? How do you think about that as you acquire and grow and all those things? You know, um, we're always going to have a partnership landscape, right? Just because we acquired two point of sale companies doesn't mean that we're not working with the other point of sale companies. And in fact, like, I think that actually improves our partnerships in a lot of ways across a lot of different lenses, because ultimately now, like there's different things that people can focus on, right? Whereas like, we've got some partners that may have had like an e-commerce and a POS offering, but like, they only want to focus on POS or they only want to focus on e-commerce. And really that was just a means to an end. Right. And so like, we're always going to be partner friendly. Um, we're never going to force people to use only our own technology, right? Now, there's obviously benefits to like using a single stack solution, but at the end of the day, we're just trying to fit into the cannabis landscape wherever it makes sense based on the retailers that we're talking to, right? Because ultimately, like, we're never going to stop cool, innovative companies from coming out and doing awesome things, right? There's always going to be some kid that interned at Google that has a kick-ass lead gen technology that's sending retailers a ton of orders, right? Those are companies that we would love to help power and partner with because I promise like we were definitely that company like two years ago, you know what I mean? Maybe even like a year and a half ago, it was an entirely different scene. And so like, you know, the idea that we're able to power the network um, versus like trying to make it a competitive thing, something that's really important to us, right? Because like whether they get an online order from Dutchie or one of the many other large, uh, you know, e-commerce companies that have been out there, there's a few larger ones that have kind of taken the, the top of the cake there, but like, um, that's a win for cannabis, man. Like somebody, my mom here in Kansas city finds out about online ordering and cannabis for the first time and place that order. Even if it's not on my platform, she's going to order again tomorrow. And that keeps retailers in business. And there will never be a day that we exist without like retailers. And that might change shape, right? They could end up in like distro models. You already seen it in California with non-storefront deliveries. Um, that's a win for the space. That means the space lives to fight another day. And we're all on the same 
foxhole against the very, very, very big businesses that are coming to the space when this becomes a more level playing field in terms of barriers to entry. And so we see it as like a unique opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a, a series of those questions too. Before we go on that, I want to talk about like, uh, again, back to this closed and open ecosystem, like some of your biggest customers, like the MSOs that you talk to all the time, which I think is a ridiculous term MSO, but aside from that, um, do they want an all-inclusive suite of software? Do they want minimal touch points or are they happy to sort of pick and choose the best? I know you're general, I'm generalizing here, but what, what do you hear? So they absolutely want to be working with the best in all classes and all categories, right? And so we, we hope that people feel that's us. We're going to work really hard to make sure that's the case. There's obviously a lot of things from like being advantageous to work with a, a full stack solution. But at the same time, like the products that we have are standalone and the fact that like, you know, now that we acquire two point of sale companies and we have that under our umbrella, there are a few of our customers that still utilize like who would be considered like an e-commerce competitor to us, but they're a partner of ours now, right? And so like, we're never gonna be overly forceful about that. But that being said, um, enterprise retailers and, and, and enterprise usually a more, uh, I guess like a universal way of saying MSO, cause I think MSO is interesting as well too. Um, you know, they, they just want their products, they, they want to be able, they want it to work and they wanna be able to gather insights to improve their business, right? And a lot of the times that has been, uh, it's, it's much easier when you, when you know that you've got a true data set and a starting point of like universal, like being able to track something from one point to another point in the system. And so there's absolute ways of doing it outside of a single stack, but that seems to be the easiest way. And that's what a lot of our partners um, utilize on that side of it. Um, so one of your closest partners near and dear to my heart is OnFleet. I spent a couple of years at OnFleet, love those guys a lot. Um, which leads me to some questions about delivery. Like, what does the data say? How many people are getting delivery versus pickup? I know delivery is not available any, everywhere, which I want to talk about too. But what does that look like in the markets that you do have it? You know, people are picking up. Are they delivering? What's that mix like? As far as you know, I guess I'm not looking totally. Exact number. You know, it, it's really market specific. I mean, a lot of times in a medical market, you know, like Missouri, for example, um, where I'm from, here I sit today, right? Um, you know, in a medical only market with a limited patient count and limited retail opportunities like to sell products, right? Uh, Delivery is expensive in cannabis to maintain, right? And so like sometimes, um, you know, I shouldn't say sometimes, we see two different types of, of profiles of retailers, right? In that type of scenario, it's either they want to establish the infrastructure and get their name out there as the thought for delivery for when it really starts picking up in an adult use market, or they, hold, they want to hold off because it doesn't make sense to lose money on delivery all to come back and, and try and make it back, you know, a year, two years from now, whenever that happens. So that's how it's approached in like those, those limited licensed medical markets. When you think about like the adult use markets and, and really specifically like California, right? It's an entirely different beast, right? Regulation allows a much more efficient delivery model in that of non-storefront retails and what they call the dynamic delivery or more familiar ice cream truck model, which we're kind of removing from the vernacular for obvious reasons. Um, you know, that's, that's allowing efficiencies that aren't allowed in other states, right? I think right now, Michigan and California are the only two with the dynamic delivery model. So like much easier to make money delivery there, obviously deliveries are much higher. I mean, in terms of like a social, like folks in the community that are purchasing cannabis, delivery is absolutely the future, right? I think about like with DoorDash and Grubhub, if you can get it delivered and once cannabis becomes more like uh, more normalized, like 
delivery is a huge, a huge thing, but there's always, at least in our lifetime over the next like five to seven years. And again, I should preface this, this is my opinion, right? Anecdotal with a fair amount of data supporting it. There's really two different types of customers, right? My poor mom, use her as an example again, she keeps screaming her name up here in the house. She's got to be like, is something wrong? Um, you know, they want to come to the dispensary because they've never been to one before. They want to talk to the bud tenders. They want to smell the product. They want to learn everything about that. That's a different consumer than the person like you or myself it's been in a couple thousand dispensaries at this point. And it's like, okay, I know what I want. I need it like now. So I'm going to pick that up in 10 to 15 minutes, or I'm going to have it delivered to me because I don't have time to go grab it. And that customer like uh, journey and the segmentation there is always going to be there until cannabis becomes more normalized, at least over the next like five-ish years. So like delivery will always be continuing to go on the upswing as it gets easier and regulation allows it as such. But like every single market's different, you know, um, some some markets make it easier to be successful and others uh, it's it's not it doesn't make sense to, to do so. So in California, we even have another step beyond that, which is the direct to consumer stuff that's starting to happen with brands. Um, given that your customers are retailers, how do they feel about this? Are you hearing that a lot? And kind of what's your answer to are brands trying to cut out the middlemen? Is that going to work? You know, I, I think they're not trying to cut out the middlemen. Um, and, and, and the reason I say that is a lot of the D to C that people are seeing is actually just that brand buying a non-storefront retail license, owning the product themselves and having the legal right to distribute it. Whereas like a true D to C model would say, okay, not only can I get you this product in delivery, but you can also see the 500 dispensaries that I sell this product in and you can post an order to their point of sale, right? So like that still that last piece is still got its own different technical challenges, right? And there's a lot of people that are trying to solve it, ourselves included. We've got some pretty good insights on how we can do it. It's just a matter of priority and like when it makes the most sense. But, you know, ultimately, like, I think that there is almost certainly some retailers that would feel like they're trying to circumvent the dispensary. But um, at the same time, like, so is every other delivery company for any other business in any other world in terms of brick and mortar. Right. And I think there's like a misconception there thinking that like, like those, those, those brands bought that cannabis retail license, which is a non-storefront, right? So they're also a retail. So that's just as competitive as the dispensary across the street, trying to sell the same product that they are trying to get that same customer in the door. It's just a different, like, like, uh, like a different, like uh, setup of that particular business. Ah, that's, a, that's really, really well put. Um, it also brings up to mind, like, there's still not very much loyalty to individual brands in the cannabis industry, right? And, and maybe you shake your head. I don't know. I'd, I'd love to hear <laughs> your, your thought on that. Um, but does it start to change the conversation, right? As opposed to like, I'm going to go to my local dispensary or I'm going to use the delivery that I really want versus I like these gummies, you know, I like sure. free roll. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's uh it's really that same, you know, that same point in terms of the difference in consumer, right? Because ultimately, like people that are really loyal to a particular brand are, are usually cannabis connoisseurs of a sense. Um, like you won't see like uh, traditionally somebody that's like, you know, like a suburban type. I don't want to generalize, but like people that aren't traditionally like they don't they don't look, talk and act like I do. Is that the easiest way to say it? Right. Um, <laughs> And you, you know, mean they're they, smart or no. yeah, to, exactly. Smart and better looking, but like, you know, it's, it's it, the way you look at it is it's like, you know, that 
particular, uh, I guess like mainstream cannabis product, right? Is something that's appealing to that person that doesn't know a ton, but they find comfort in the universal nature of it. Whereas like, if you're a fan of the 710 Labs or the Sherbinskis of the world, right? Um, or the cookies for that matter, right? You're loyal to that brand. And so in some ways, there's almost no brand loyalty when you talk about like, if you're a geographic shopper, but if you're like a, I love my sauce to be super terpy and be the, made from some of the best flour on the planet, then you're super loyal to 710 and you're going to hold out because that extra, and it's not even just extra, but like that money that you spend on that product is far more satisfying to you than like finding something that's quicker that you're not going to enjoy as much. So it's kind of like, Similar to alcohol, maybe one of the only similarities to the alcohol industry, because I feel like everyone compares cannabis and alcohol so much, and they're just not that similar. Um, one of the only similarities is that, like, you walk into a dispensary and you've got folks that are there for, like, the $80 grams of, like, most beautiful, like, hash rosin they've ever seen in their life. And then you've got the folks that are trying to buy the $25 cheapest age for the eights for the highest THC, right? Those customers are the same ones that are at the grocery store or the gas station or liquor store that are leaving with past blue ribbon or bud light. And then they also have like the craft can, like, you know, um, unbelievable beers that take small batch, et cetera. It's just a different type of consumer. Um, but the difficulty that makes that like almost impossible to get around right now. And like people talking about CPG and CPG coming to the space and everything is the limitations on marketing and advertising around that and how almost all cannabis brands are hyper-local. There's very few that have like a universal appeal or like a, a cross state, um, recognition um, out there. And yeah, so like, um, absolutely. Yeah. You, you, you walked into the next question in California. We think that our shit doesn't stink and that uh, mm -hmm. we think our brands are the very best anywhere. And there's this very happy narrative that all the big MSOs and East coast guys are going to buy the California brands. Right. And all this fight is going to be had worth it. Uh, been worth it. Um, you agree. Is that a reasonable expectation? I can tell you that like the way I look at it without like, you know, uh, hyping one brand over another or whatever. Right. Um, uh, California is a micro economy that exists within the rest of the cannabis industry. And so I've always said, and this is just based on the experience of working with, you know, North 5,000 retailers in North America across every state plus Canada. It's like, you know, what's successful in California would almost certainly be successful from like a branding and like a retail standpoint somewhere else. If it's like got some thought put into it, right. Versus coming to California from somewhere else to be successful would be incredibly difficult. So like, imagine like, you know, they've just, they've been doing it longer. There's it. California is really like the heart and soul of the cannabis industry. And so like, there's legacy ideas and methodologies there that help produce some of the best products on the planet. I was at Emerald Cup two weeks ago and it was focused on small farmers, which I'm so glad that happened because I can still tell you, I've tried a lot of products. I've smoked a lot of weed. The best weed in the country is still coming out of Humboldt. And, you know, it's like that hasn't changed. It's always been that way, right? And, you know, I say that living in Oregon where there's some of the best flour on the planet, but like, you know, in terms of companies coming in to, to buy those companies, um, sure, that's always going to happen, right? There's going to be a ton more institutional money in the space than there was today. And obviously, I think we're a really good example of like, you know, what some of those opportunities represent. But if I were one of those California cannabis brands, personally, always being very wary about who you jump in with, right? Because you still have to maintain that, that same brand identity across state lines and brand quality, which sometimes like 
testing regs, for example, can impact that dramatically. You know what I mean? Like the parts per million of a particular like heavy metal or mold or whatever in flour is different from state to state. And so how people cure and get to that particular end state is going to change, which makes it very difficult to provide consistent products. So, totally. I mean, the that's op- what the brand op- is, right? That's what totally. Brand is. Yeah. That's why people keep coming back. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up legacy because um, along with the culture and brands and everything, California also has a really big illicit market problem. Um, I call it a problem. Not everybody would call it a problem. Um, What do we do about it? It's, It's one of those things that, yeah, okay, lower taxes, whatever, but it seems so ingrained. I mean, first of all, is that okay? Is it all right that there's some illicit market? What should we do? You know, honestly, man, we had to take a, we took a strong stance early on that we don't partner with any illicit dispensaries at all. And um, outside of the one that is in Kansas City named illicit, that's completely above board and kicks ass. Um, (laughs) But that being said, um, you know, we don't, uh, we don't partner with any illegal shops because it's not fair to make our retailers that have to pay taxes compete with the ones that don't. Mm -hmm. And you think about like the time, effort, blood, sweat, and tears that some of these folks are putting into these businesses, all these folks are putting into these businesses, I shouldn't even say some, like if you're operating a cannabis business and you're keeping your doors open, it is an absolute grind, yep. right? And so to, to have to force those folks to compete with someone that doesn't have to play by the same set of rules is completely unfair. And I think, you know, earlier on, you know, there wasn't as big of a problem in terms of like retailers hating the illicit market, uh, until the last couple of years where it's like the, ta- the tax situation in California is crazy, right? It makes it very difficult for business to be successful in general. So it's like, it's almost like, you know, you're sitting there and, you're, and you do all this work to get above board if you're a legacy grower that did it in the gray market days, right? And you, you check all your boxes, you get everything done. And then somebody's still able to go out there and do things the old way and not get, that, that's an incredibly upsetting thing for retailers in our experience, right? So while cannabis culture is something that we all know came from the depths of that's where it all started. Right. And that's simply because out of, out of necessity, it had to. And honestly, I don't know that we would have the same like uh, authenticity of the space on that side of it with like the, the, the cannabis culture, if it wouldn't have came from there. Right. Like it probably wouldn't have been as appealing to me to go work for just another company in big business. Right. I worked in HR tech for a long time. We were very fortunate to build a really big company out of a small one. And we still operate as a small company, even though we are, you know, crossing 600 employees at the first of the year, which is insane. But like that all that's, it, it's the craziest thing, dude. But like all that being said, if you are, you know, doing things the right way, you just don't have a stomach for that. It doesn't. And so I guess that's going to continue to police itself. Right. I kind of like, I hate to make sports analogies, but I played sports my entire life. So it's like pretty much all I know up until that point and like earlier in life, I guess. And like, you know, somebody would get in trouble. I played college baseball, somebody get like a DUI or something. And, you know, our, our coach would sit there and he would run everyone else on the team while the person that got in trouble sat there and watched and gave him a lawn chair. And then he would let everybody deal with that person in the locker room afterwards while we all were just like dying. And it's like, that's going to continue to happen. I think, I think that, um, you know, maybe not necessarily on like the, the, the whistleblower snitch program, because that's obviously something that's not, you know, uh, very highly thought of by anybody. And, and I can kind of identify with that as well, too. But making sure that, uh, you know, people are putting the same time in across the board, right? Because it's only hurting the industry, right? Yeah. Like, it, it, and, Cal- and if I'm California, for example, right, because that's really where the illicit market thrives the most, I would say, um, 
you're really taking money out of your own pocket from a tax revenue standpoint. So it's like the longer that you wait to really crack down and police that in like a fair way, it, it, it's going to continue to damage. And then they keep raising taxes thinking that that's going to change things. It's not. It's going to keep people from getting into the space that could actually make a difference. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking like, do we need to do like a public service campaign, like a series of ads or something? Because like, I don't know, some of these brands or cultivators that's doing it, they're just trying to stay alive. Right. Like I don't understand that. And if you're a consumer, it's like, well, you know, the weed down the street is half the price of the store. And so I think it gets tricky when you look at it on individual level, but it's just something we have to decide as a culture. Like it's, and it's always ironic to me. People care about like where their fish was sourced from or like whether their tomatoes were shade grown or some shit like that. But then they like, will buy weed from anybody you know like how, how do you right. reconcile that yeah and and it's and it's crazy because you know most people don't even realize my a good friend of mine jason beck longest continuous retail operator in the u.s right he's down in weho um he always say people are making this stink about this realizing that the fruit and the produce at the grocery store is far dirtier than any cannabis you're going to get off a dispensary shelf Absolutely. in terms of like mold heavy metals pesticides everything and so like as like, you remember the vape crisis, right? When like illegal vapes and like people like making bootleg cartridges with crazy chemicals and people dying, right? Like now, not that we want to point to like those types of examples, but those are like the dangers of buying cannabis. Cool. And truthfully, if you enjoy buying products in the cannabis industry, right? And you enjoy cannabis products, you should do your best to get to a dispensary and support a retailer because ultimately they can't stay open without your purchase. And you're just putting yourself in a further hole in terms of like, doing something illegally, right? To where like you can definitely get in trouble for it and it's not helping your neighbor down the street or you can change that, maybe spend a little more money, but get something that you know is driving forward something that you're clearly passionate about if you like cannabis. And in terms of spending more money, I mean, yes, it takes some time, but the more we buy legal cannabis, the cheaper it will get. Correct. That's just economics. So the longer we fight this, the longer it's going to persist in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I think. A, frustrating. A, yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of that too is like a very small portion of the people that are shopping in the cannabis world today, both legally and illegally, are representative of who's going to be here from a consumer base like five, seven years from now, mm-hmm. right? Like it's like a third or something like that. It's a crazy stat, and most stats are made up, so I'm not going to pin myself to that one. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, right? And think about that. So, like, and, and the majority of those folks are the folks that have been comfortable with cannabis their whole lives. So, like, they're just as comfortable buying something from, you know, their dude or their 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 dealer, right? Um, that you know, somebody else would be like, my mom. She's like only going to a dispensary. She's not meeting someone in a gas station parking lot at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. No way. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So like as that as that continues to shift and cannabis continues to normalize, that's going to be a big thing too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, back to software for a second. Um, do you think there is room for new software players today? We've got the cannabis software players, which are growing. We've got mm-hmm. other big non-cannabis softwares that are coming and are thinking about it. Is there room for software startups in cannabis? And if there are, like, is something missing? What needs to be built? What what would you build? I mean, there's always room for, you know, there wasn't room for Dutchie when we came into the space. You know what I mean? Like, nobody really cared about online ordering. I think the beauty of software and innovation is that, like, it's there to solve a problem. No one really had an idea. Like, 
it, it does it just it just doesn't operate out of thin air you know what i mean it's like this was built to solve a particular problem and those problems are identified over time so as long as the cannabis is an evolving business which it always will be there will always be room for additional software providers and players in there now what those companies look like and what purpose they serve i think is going to change over time but there's a lot of limitations in the space too from a technical lens right and like like you know, misplacing a can of flour, a, a jar of flour is far different than misplacing a can of peaches in a retail environment. You know what I mean? So, so anything that like allows retailers to operate closer to what would be considered a traditional retail model um, and improve those efficiencies, you know, either the companies that are here will continue to work on that, right? And, and, and improve upon it, or there will be companies that come into the space to help kind of focus on those micro areas of the business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well said. Um, I think we have so far to go in marketing and in MarTech. If I had to pick one, I would say, and obviously there's a few companies working on it, right? But uh-huh. I don't think we really closed that loop yet, right? And there's more integrations needed. There's more all kinds of things needed, but still very hard to track who exactly buys your products in dispensaries, which is, seems totally. like it should be simple, but it is not simple. Not at all. It should. It yeah. should. And it's, and it's crazy because, you know, cannabis has the most PII data of any uh, industry in the world. Right. And so like the customer insights that we can generate right now are like next level. You can tell someone that, you know, someone's more likely to buy a sativa strawberry cough pre-roll when Miley Cyrus is in town on a Tuesday. Right. Those are the kind of insights you can glean from these retail sales. Yeah. Right. Um, hopefully I don't get a letter from, from Miley's people on that one, but, um, you know, if so, that's great. We love a brand ambassador, but the point being is like, you know, those types of things exist. It's a matter of like, how do you clean up the data, right? There's, there's very little data standardization in cannabis. And so like making actionable decisions and like things based on those data points is probably been the biggest struggle, which is one thing that we like, you know, really work in a feverish way towards is like, how can we clean all this up for everybody? Right. How can we make this like a universal, like you think about like, um, you know, how uh, other industries have done it. Right. And like, you know, it's like, there's so many things that we have to consider that they never had to, right. Because it was just there. And like folks that come over from these larger institutional, like, you know, the Dick sporting goods, the, you know, the home depots of the world. And it was like, they're like, well, wait, you mean that we, we can't do that from like a customer segmentation standpoint, we can't market to our customers in that way because everything is yeah, blocked in Google AdWords and cannabis. And it's like, yeah. they have no idea. And so like, those are things that are going to open doors. Um, we're still in its infancy, but like that being said, there's a lot of really great marketing companies that are out there, like finding ways around it to help businesses be successful today. Mm-hmm. And then the key is like, you know, having the rails set up for when like those limitations are removed and they can grow within that. Mm-hmm. I think we can almost guarantee Miley Cyrus has used Dutchie at some point. I would hope so, man. You know, I don't have uh... any evidence of that, but <laughs> if you order weed, you've probably used a Dutchie menu. So I don't know. I'm just totally. going to put that in the world. We'll just manifest that. Um, I'm with it. How about the bigger players? Uber keeps talking about weed stuff. It looked like Microsoft was going to put their their toe in for a bit. Shopify would be a really obvious one. Is that coming soon? I, I don't know that you have any information the news doesn't have, but you know, what, do you, what says you? Like, are, is that going to be a problem in the next couple of years for you guys? Sure. I mean, in, in terms of problem, um, you know, we're here for all of it, right? You know, obviously it's expected that when an industry that's doing, you know, over 10 billion in sales annually, you know, is happening, there's a lot of really 
big eyes and pocketbooks uh, that are they're they're I shouldn't say big eyes. Big eyes is a weird way to say that, but there's a, there's a lot of deep pockets that have their eye on the space in that lens, right? And so it's inevitable those companies get in the space. And honestly, like that's the nature of of all business. But um, now the the ease of entry and the barriers to entry in the space are something that no matter who you are, no matter how much money you have it will take a fair amount of time and resources to overcome that, right? Because even when there is a federal cannabis, uh, you know, like, you know, legislation piece introduced, right? And like, let's say like a medical program or even decrim, right? Um, it's still going to be a state's rights thing, right? Like in Kansas, for example, no cannabis program, right? You can't bring firearms across state lines, right? And so like, you think about it that way, like there's always going to be a state's rights aspect to it that I think is going to create interesting uh piece to scale there. But the other piece too, is that these big companies come to the space and there's companies that are already doing it very well. They're going to have to either come in better from an efficiency lens or better from a cost standpoint, which both of which are possibilities, right? Big business does that very well. No one's ever going to have better resources than the largest e-commerce company in the world that I won't name. You know what I mean? Or just buy you. Yeah. One or the other. Right. But at the end of the day, like maybe, maybe not. You know, like, I don't know, like, I, I feel like we've got like, it, it changed with the pandemic in terms of like how we were looking at it and like how cannabis progressed. We saw cannabis like, like advance years in like a four month time window, right? Like we saw things like emergency legislation passed in Michigan that allowed delivery that would have taken years to get through, like, you know, that, that piece of it. You've got places like Colorado with 500 dispensaries that it was like a one or a zero, whether people cared about online ordering or not. And then all of a sudden you're forced to use online ordering and it has to be curbside pickup. So like, you know, it just, it just kind of depends. You know what I mean? Like there's like, it, it, we're in this new world now where cannabis got like a much needed, like, like leg up in terms of like the rate that it was growing in the space. And so like, I don't know, you know, I, we're, we're, we're kind of taking it, we're taking it day by day. We're listening to our customers and making sure that we're solving all of their problems. And usually everything else works out beyond that. You know, if, if the big players are getting the space, there's nothing you, me, or anyone else can do to stop that from happening. So it's more oh, or less like- If anything, you, it's a positive, right? It's like- A hundred percent. We're doing the right thing here for sure. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. But it's just a matter of like, how do we best uh, support the companies that are moving this industry forward? And then obviously, you know, we tell people all the time, you should use every avenue that you can if it's going to make you money versus what you're paying for it. You know what I mean? And so like, it's really welcome. Um, let's talk about you for a couple minutes. Uh, when you hire a lot of people, it probably means you have to manage a lot of people now. If I had to guess, you got a lot of people under you? No, no? actually, it's great. I, I get to like, I'm, I'm on our sales leadership team. I, you know, it's, it's we kind of lead by committee. Um, so I've been more like, uh, in terms of like reports, we've been layering in now, which has been great. Like we've got a new director of sales, we've got a director of sales and financial services. We've got um, a director of sales ops and intelligence. And so like, we've got 40 plus people now on the sales side and like, in, at least in my world, right. Um, that's like an awesome thing because we can get so, so much more like specific in terms of how we approach things and focused. And so like, for me, my world is, is really trying to find new ways that we can like jailbreak things for the industry, right? What's the next thing that we're going to do that's going to make a massive impact for the re retailers that we work with. And so that's where a lot of my focus is spent. And then obviously like a lot of our partnerships, integration partnerships, referral partnerships, um, you know, events, et cetera. Do you miss being part of a startup, part of a small team? 
Is this the biggest team you've ever been a part of now? The biggest company? No, I've, I've worked for larger companies for sure. I made big, I made, I made those big business companies a lot of money in my early twenties. I was a kid that like, didn't really have like, a, you know, a, a very humble upbringing, best parents in the world. Um, you know, but like, I had never like made real money before. And I got into my career and it was like, whoa. And they were like, Hey, you're our golden boys, take us to the moon and we'll pay you. And it's great. And then I kind of realized at like 27, I was like, there's an ethos thing where I was like, dude, I have nothing in common with like any of these people. You know, it's like, I'm just making them more money until I die if I don't take a risk. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I still very much consider us a startup, even though we are who we are now. Um, I do love those like, you know, longboard races in the parking lot, you know, and stuff like that, that, you know, are, are difficult to manage during the COVID age. But like, um, you know, like I, I love all stages of it in different ways, right? Like we worked really hard to, and when I say we, I mean like every single person in Dutchie, I just get to like see how much our our customers love us every single day. But like, you know, we've worked very hard to get people to know who we were for the purpose of trying to like help support them better. And so now that we're here, that also brings a lot of attention to folks that just want something from you because they see the headline, they see the money you've raised, they see the valuation. I had a call with somebody like a week or two ago and they were trying to get us to jump on an event. I'm not going to name the event name. But I asked him, I was like, hey, he insulted my appearance, which is like, all right, whatever. Cool. You know, um, he, he gave me kind of like the don't you ever want to dress up and have someone take you serious? I was like, really? I was like, this, are, you, are you trying to ask for us to sponsor something? And that's your opener? That's um, outrageous. Dude, unbelievable. And so at first I was like, all right, I got time today. And, you know, come down the road. I'm like, hey, so like, you know what? Take a step back. How do you see us working together? Right. And he's like, well, you can do, basically, you can have your flower products here, your concentrates here, and this here. And I was like, hang on a second. I was like, do you know what we do? And he was like, yeah. He goes, you guys are like uh, similar to like an Ease, right? Which Ease is great. Jamie Feaster, awesome dude. You know, one of the founders of Ease, like they're awesome, right? But different business model. And I was like, the audacity of someone to call us and ask for 50 oh, grand offensive. for a sponsorship. I was just like, like, did you not read any deeper than Dutchie raises 350 at a 3.75? Is that where it ended? And I was like, that's crazy to me. But like, that's okay though because that's always going to attract that kind of attention and it's honestly like uh it's one of those things that you have to assume is going to happen as you continue to grow but like we absolutely don't forget who's been riding with us on fleet being one of those you mentioned them earlier since the early days right and and, and even furthermore like our our dispensary partners right like we know which dispensary partners gave us a shot and now like yes we are so happy to work with like every dispensary that we can but we highly value relationships you know what I mean? It's like the most important thing to us. I think that's like part of where you guys are from and like the ethos and being in Oregon and Bend, Oregon, for that matter. Like, it's just not like a flashy, sexy place. Forgive me. And so I think that kind of comes through, right? You guys are like authentic that way. It's not, you know, you're not in Manhattan. You're not in Hollywood. You know, I think that makes sense. Totally. I mean, honestly, man, it's been... uh it's, it's, it's a huge testament to like the early Dutchie crew um, that has been a part of the team for a long time and then also helped kind of uh, push people toward embodying that uh, as we continue to grow. Because ultimately, like the highest compliment we can ever take and I can ever take is that like someone tells me that they feel like they can be their authentic self at work every single day. Right. And so like the great thing is like, you know, that's how I feel. Right. Like I feel like I can absolutely be, I'm sitting here in a Wu-Tang t-shirt, right? Like I've never had to dress up a single day that I've been at Dutchie. 
unless I wanted to, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas I wore a suit and tie to work for the first like seven days or seven years of my career, right? And it's like, when you really encourage people to like explore the authenticity and genuine versions of what makes them the best, then you absolutely get the best results, right? In terms of like what we're all accomplishing, like it's almost like a good examples like the Sandlot, right? Like, you know, the Sandlot outside of that, everyone's kind of misfits. We all come from different walks of life, different personalities, et cetera. On the Sandlot though, that shit's electric. You know what I mean? Like we are winning and that's, and, and, and it's like together as a team, we win together, we lose together, we spend time together. And that's just like, to be able to deliver that. And I think that shows through in, in the way that we handle ourselves, the way we work with our customers. And that's ultimately, I think a reason why we've been lucky enough to have our customers love us for as long as they do. And, and hopefully they continue to. For sure. Um, what kind of smoker are you today? How, how is your personal relationship with cannabis evolved through this process? I mean, honestly, dude, I've loved cannabis since I was, you know, much to my uh, parents' dismay, probably about 14, 15 years old. But um, I remember I, when I pre-Dutchy, pre I got into uh, um, start, I raised money to get a grow off the ground in Vegas. I might've told you that, but that was like my first swing into cannabis. And I realized very quickly that, you know, having free weed all the time, like I was not the person that should be smoking weed all day, every day. And even though I love weed more than anything, my fiance, she can be stoned and just crank things out. She's the most operationally efficient person I've ever met in my entire life. I do not have that gift right on that side of it. So like, you know, it started as like, you know, okay, big time smoking flour, dabs, everything all the time is okay. I really got to like not smoke during the workday. And I still don't really smoke during the workday because like, I'm like the poster child for ADHD and it just makes it real difficult for me. <laughs> but like, actually, since I met my fiance, she smoked a lot more than I do. And she worked for, I won't name the company, but you named one of them earlier, a very, very large company in uh, CS. She's, you know, awesome. I'm a professional. Um, I'm more of a connoisseur smoker now, right? Like I love smoking. I love trying different types of products. I love flour. I love dabs. I love like the cool technologies that are coming out, like with like, you know, the iSpire and you've got Puffco and you've got the dippers and all that stuff. And then like the cannabis 2.0 products, man, like the edibles, like they're incredible. There's like super cool things happening with nano emulsions. So like long-windedly, I love all of it. Send all your samples to me and I will How absolutely about beverages? make sure. You like beverages? You know, um, I do. I think that like, for for me, it's been hard to like find a dosage that either doesn't affect me at all or doesn't completely put me on the ground, right? Because that's the hard thing. Like you get a five milligram nano emulsified THC beer that doesn't really scratch the surface for me. But if I drink a hundred milligram keep cola or at least half of it, I'm on the floor. You right. know what I mean? So it's like I got I love to be able to find like something that's in that window. And a lot of that is like activation time. So like I'm excited for all of it. Um, it's just the, the the evolution of products in the cannabis space, even over the last couple of years, has been unbelievable. And I think it's only going to keep getting better. Yeah, the lounges are going to take it to the next level. The idea that totally. you there and have a drink or whatever, like that's going to change shit. You're going to see a lot of different kind of people interested in weed drinks than I think we ever did before. Um, totally. What about you? What kind of, what kind of smoker are you? Oh, I'm all flowers pretty much. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll have anything, but I like flowers. Sure. That's, that's my, my core. Um, I try not to do too many of the vapes. I don't know. I kind of feel like it's different and like smoking should be like this fun kind of special thing. Not just like I have it in my hip pocket every day mm -hmm. all the time. I don't know. Maybe that's sentimental of me. Um, indicas. I definitely go towards the Indica. I like a bong, like 
I'm kind of a Californian in that way, I suppose. But yeah, um, I'm kind of a traditionalist, I guess you could say. Yeah. I am too, man. I mean, honestly, like I love, I've actually gotten really big as of recent. I think I kind of go in phases. Like I'll do something and I'll burn myself out on it and have to like switch directions. But one of our favorite things right now is like, uh, like the hash hole joints or like taking like, you know, a joint and like melting down, like with your fingertips, like some shatter and rolling out like the long tail and then rolling it inside of it. Oh, nice. Absolutely. Yeah. It's super cool. And you can make that happen like piecemeal in a pretty inexpensive way. And then there's also like a bunch of like really great infused products on the market too, like infused pre-rolls, et cetera. So you roll your own joints. Absolutely. I always say like, that's like, you know, my, top three life skill for sure. I can roll a joint upside down on an inversion board in a 60 mile an hour windstorm. <laughs> you know, my parents just said, be the best at whatever you're going to be. And so I'm just awesome at rolling joints, you know, just really. Absolutely. It's a great life skill to have, man. And, and honestly, like um, pre-rolls are great too. And like pre-roll cones are awesome, but I just think there's a certain amount of pride and satisfaction in rolling an awesome joint. I think that's as good a place to start to wrap up as any, man. I agree. Thank you so much for your time. Happy holidays. It was great having you, man. Totally, man. I appreciate you having me on. And, and obviously, um, you know, you guys are doing great things. We appreciate your guys' uh, support of us over the years. Like I said, in terms of folks that we've known now for a couple of years that cared about what we were doing back then. Um, super appreciated, man. And, and stoked to see what the new year brings. Happy holidays to you as well. For sure. How can we help you? Are you guys hiring for anything? Like, what, what can the audience do for you? Always aggressively hiring, man. Um, if anybody's got any kind of inclination or interest in getting into cannabis, um, you know, our careers page on dutchy.com, we're always, always, always trying to bring in the next wave of rock stars because to my point earlier, this is becoming a much bigger thing in terms of the cannabis industry than any of us ever thought. And so like, it's all hands on deck. So, um, and then, and if you're a retailer, right, we'd love to talk to you. Even if you think, you know, kind of you know, what our, our story is, um, you know, the company has changed a lot in the last couple of years. And there's a lot of unique things that we're able to do from like support and help standpoint that we weren't before. So um, give us a shout. We'd love to, uh, to connect and talk through it. Good stuff, man. And order more weed on the internet, right? Absolutely. And especially through legal, even if you go in and pick it up, right? Just make sure you're buying it from retailers. Oh, right? pickup is valid. Pickup is great. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Because like, you know, the nice thing about pickups, even though delivery is convenient, is like pickups, you get that swag stop in. Usually there's like a pop-up in the dispensary. They're giving out t-shirts. Like, I'm not joking. And I know you and I have probably run into each other a couple of times. Like, you'll never not see me in like a free weed t-shirt. That's like how I roll. Like, always. They're like, It's a big perk. And before totally. weed, I was always in a free technology t-shirt. So. <laughs> totally. That's what I mean, man. Free gear. I got like six pairs of jeans and about 100 weed t-shirts. That's my closet. So... <laughs> Awesome. We got to leave it there. Thanks again, man. It's been fun. Totally, brother. Appreciate you having us, man.